All right, and welcome to the Rolling Thunder Review podcast. I am your host, Ben Mertens, from Welcome to Loud City. Joining me on the other line, we have Sean Corp from Detroit Bad Boys. Sean, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I am ready to be done with the regular season and watch some playoffs, but we do have five games left in the regular season, and Friday night, the Pistons are coming to play the Thunder in Oklahoma City. So let's start with just the Pistons right now. What What is the story of the Pistons right now with five games to go? They have not locked up a spot in the playoffs yet. They're close, but they're still trying to hold off the last few teams in that battle towards the bottom of the East. So just what's going on with the Pistons right now? I'd say that uh, the story of the whole year is sort of like a, a very schizophrenic team. Uh, mm-hmm. They're either playing very, very well or mind-bogglingly poorly. Some of it has to do with health, and some of it's just running hot and cold with their perimeter shooting. Uh, so that's kind of what gets you to a team that is right around 500 and trying to fight for one of the final playoff spots in the lesser of the two conferences. <laughs> what, um, where do you want to fit? So obviously you want to be in the playoffs, but who do you think is like kind of the best first round matchup for the Pistons? Like the way you could end up finishing, say so play either the 76ers, the Raptors or the Bucks in the first round, you're probably not going to, end up facing the uh, the Celtics or the Pacers. Right. So uh, pretty clearly it's the Raptors. Uh, the Pistons swept the season series against the Raptors this year. It seems sort of like poetic justice if Dwayne <laughs> Casey was going to be able to face his former team who fired him after winning coach of the year. Uh, and really, <laughs> it's almost by default because – the matchups against the Bucks and the Sixers are really, really bad. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there is a good matchup against Milwaukee, but with the Sixers, who you might think they could kind of match up against, there's just this weird psychological battle between uh, Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond, and uh, Embiid has the uh, decided advantage right there. Uh, he seems to always uh, get into Dr- Drummond's head and sort of embarrass him. So... I'm hoping that is not the first round series that we get to watch. Yeah, it seems like uh, uh, Joel kind of owns a large condo in Andre's head um, with the way he's played against him and just gotten into his head and then posted all about it on social media going back for the last however many years Joel Embiid has been playing now in the league. Um, so this, what um, the Pistons kind of changed up at the trade deadline. They got rid of um their original starting shooting guard uh reggie bullock sorry i blanked on the name for a second there and replaced him with wayne ellington off the buyout market what was do you think was the reasoning behind that move and how has the team looked post trade deadline with the changes they've made they also shipped out uh stanley johnson to get thon maker back well those two moves were kind of uh seemed like a team that was prepared to not be in the playoff chase. Uh, right. Just didn't, they were definitely moves for the future. Uh, they Reggie Jet or Reggie Bullock was their only reliable perimeter threat on a team that was just desperate for three point shooting. So when they traded them for a young player in a second round pick, it was almost like they were waving the white flag, uh, but they were able to convince Wayne Ellington to sign on Uh, as a free agent when he was waived and frankly he's provided almost everything Bullock had done plus some uh he's been a really really nice addition to Detroit so you almost lost nothing there and then with the Stanley Johnson trade that was really addition by subtraction 
uh, Stanley Johnson never became a reliable offensive presence. His offensive game was so bad that he was a net negative, even though he's a really good defender. And this team was just so desperate for offense. When you're talking about a team that relies on Andre Drummond down low and Ish Smith off the bench, you just really can't afford to have a non-offensive entity like Stanley Johnson taking shots. And uh, his replacement, Thon Maker, has actually been a very, very pleasant surprise. Uh, he's an imperfect player, but he's delivered pretty well on both ends, and he, he hits threes, which Stanley Johnson could never do. And uh, he'll be under team control for next year as well. So they kind of get a one-year-plus audition out of Thon Maker to see if he's a long-term fit. Yeah, Thon gives you that kind of stretch big look. And this is a team where – you know, Andre's going to get the ball down low and Blake is very good with the ball in his hands. So then you just, if you have two big guys who are going to dominate the ball a lot and you want to surround them with good three-point shooting, but Reggie Jackson, as Oklahoma City fans will remember, is at best like an average three-point shooter. Stanley Johnson is not a three-point shooter at all. So being able to get Ellington in there to, I agree with you, not only just replace Bullock, but I think he's actually been better than Bullock, um, at least on the offensive end of the ball. Ellington's not, you know, a huge stopper or anything, but he is one of the best, like, just catch the ball and shoot kind of guys, even without any space or when he's leaning one way, he has a lot of JJ Redick in his game. Um, and getting Thon Maker can kind of play that stretch big role alongside, I guess he can play alongside Blake or alongside Andre is just one kind of look that you didn't have before. I mean, the best shooting big man they had is Blake himself, who's started launching like step back three pointers this year. And what did you, th- what have you thought about Blake's season as a whole? And then recently he's kind of been in a slump, but just what's the Blake Griffin experience in Detroit been ever since you got him out the tr- near before the trade deadline last season? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> you look at that contract and his injury history and you're kind of bracing yourself for what that experience is going to be. And even myself as sort of a skeptic of how it was all going to work out. It's been a really pleasant surprise, uh, the one thing he's done, which I actually thought he was going to be able to do, is just add pieces to his game to sort of have some longevity and be more of a factor in the modern NBA. It, it seemed very clear to me that he was really focusing on stretching out his perimeter game, and he's basically been a high-volume perimeter threat since the moment he stepped foot in Detroit. He launches like five or six threes per game, and he hits them at a decent enough clip where uh, – He's a threat. Uh, his true shooting percentage is hovering around uh, 60% for the first time in his c- career, or the first time in a long time, because he's finally starting to connect on a high volume of those three-pointers. And he just does so many other things. He cut out a lot of those mid-range, mid-post shots. And so he kind of focuses on that three. He bullies himself to the basket. He is very crafty around the rim and can get himself to the line, which is a thing that uh, Detroit has been desperate for for years. So he's legitimately a player who you can build an offense around. He's legitimately a player that you can put the ball in his hands late in the game and and expect something good to happen, which is sort of what you need to be a, a factor in the NBA today. And uh, sort of the underreported thing about Blake is that he just brought a sense of maturity and just a guy who's been there before to show the other players, especially Andre Drummond, what it's like to be a professional. Andre's been a player that's very, very talented, but sort of limited in effectiveness. And he's never had high discipline on the offensive end. He's attempted a lot of bad shots and 
He's had sort of a, a middling defensive presence, middling to bad, I'd say, throughout his career. Mm-hmm. But for the past two and a half months, uh, Andre Drummond has played like a star or even better than that uh, through his defense, especially his you know world-leading rebounding. And he's cut out almost all the bad shots from his game, and he's becoming a really highly efficient offensive player again. He's been one of the best big men in the NBA for like two months straight now. He's even hitting plus 70% from the line for the last few months. And some people might credit that to just being, you know, a good stretch in a season, but you just watch him play and he plays differently now. And I credit a lot of that to Blake Griffin. Yeah. Um, I think Blake is one of those, one of the stories this year that's kind of gone under the radar because the Pistons aren't like a big market team and they're, you know, a slightly above 500 teams. So they don't get a ton of attention. Not a ton of people are tuning to watch Pistons games, but Blake Griffin has like reinvented himself in a way that I think a lot of people, when he was first drafted, it was, this guy's an athlete who can, you know, dunk, get up way above the rim, but what's going to happen when that athleticism starts to vanish. And he's gotten to the point now where he isn't as, as as athletic as he used to be. And he doesn't dunk as much, but he's averaging nearly six assists per game. He's taking seven, three pointers per game and hitting them at a, 36 percent clip which is really good as you said he has the highest this is the highest true shooting percentage he's had his entire career he's made himself way more efficient of a player and that's then had trickle down effects because he's such a good passer and a guy who draws attention that Andre you know he's the best teammate Andre Drummond has had in his career I don't think that's any controversial take at all um and so Andre having this kind of breakout season is something that I, you know I didn't predict or anything but I'm not surprised like playing alongside Blake he's able to both Watch how Blake, you know, comports himself like on that responsibility, leadership, personal level you're talking about and just as a basketball fit, you know, despite the NBA being changing and things like that and people talking about there not being room for two traditional bigs, Blake and Andre do mesh really well because they both can pass from the post um, and they're both can inhabit the dunker spot when the other has the ball. Blake and that three-point range means he can slide out to the perimeter. And Blake is really good driving and passing, so that sets Andre up for some stuff too. So I think they fit well together. I think the Pistons' problem is that they've never had great perimeter players around those three, around those two guys. Yeah, um, since that All-Star break, I think it's – you sort of alluded to it before, but Blake has sort of struggled. I think a lot of that is just there's so much – offensive load on his shoulders for the mm-hmm. first half of the year he's just sort of worn down a little bit and he's slightly less effective but for a month after the nba trade deadline where they got rid of their best three-point shooter uh the pistons had the number one offensive efficiency in the nba for a solid month and that was because uh with those changes that they made with the adding of Wayne Ellington and the, just the spacing and movement that putting a player like Thon Maker on the floor can get you, uh, they had their three-point shooters finally hitting three-point shots. Wayne Ellington obviously is one of the better three-point shooters in the game. Luke Kennard was really hitting from deep, and uh, Langston Galloway, who kind of runs hot and cold, uh, went on a, a scorching hot streak that's kind of still going. He's uh, been one of the better three-point shooters for a month or two now so uh, they don't have I would say traditionally reliable three-point shooters Uh, they're in a mini slump now whereas some of the team is uh, struggling to score 80 points per game Uh, but the offense makes sense now for the first time in a long time and everything kind of fits 
and you can see the people fitting into the roles that are most natural to them. And so both offensively and defensively, this team's making a lot more sense and playing a lot more effective basketball. How is Reggie Jackson factored into that? That's a guy that Thunder fans are always uh, interested to hear about, given his history in Oklahoma City. Uh, I'd say that for, in this hot streak of the last month, two months, Reggie was playing the best Pistons ball of his career since the last time the Pistons made the playoffs in 15-16. Uh, he was finally getting healthy, and he looked more explosive. And even when he was you know, unhealthy, the thing that was hampering him was he had no burst or drive, so he couldn't really do anything with the ball or finish at the rim, but he had been reliably becoming a more reliable jump shooter. Mm-hmm. And this year under Casey, uh, he was playing off the ball a lot more all season, and he was struggling a little bit to fit that into his game. And he was struggling overall because he, you could just tell he still wasn't healthy. Uh, his burst was still gone. He had nothing going for him. And Pistons fans were starting to wonder, you know, is this just who he is now? And then about two months ago, he looked like him old, his old self. He looked like a player that could use a pick and get to the rim or kind of be a little craftier and find an open shooter. And so he's been really effective. Uh, I'd say the last five or six games, he's sort of tailed off a little bit, but he was a huge factor in the Pistons really turning their season around from, I don't know, they were like seven, eight games under 500. And then they went up to four games over 500. It was really behind Reggie Jackson, Ish Smith, Andre Drummond, and, you know, Blake Griffin, even the lesser Blake was still very effective, really taking on that offensive load that allowed their very limited uh, catch and shoot players to actually start catching and shooting open shots. Yeah, I mean, this last couple of months of Reggie is kind of the idealized version of Reggie Jackson that you would always see glimpses of from game to game, but he's finally able to sustain it, right? He's healthy. That's always the biggest thing with Reggie is can he stay on the court? The jump shot has really come around. He's shooting, I think, like 37 or 38% from three, uh, 37% over the last two months from three, like 36% on the season, which is, you know, above average. And that's he doesn't need to be Steph Curry to be effective, but he does need to have like a reliable jump shot he can hit if guys duck too far under his screen or if he's going to play off the ball, which he's been doing more of. And you just need a, a point guard who can at least put some pressure on defenses, um, whether that's with or without the ball just to open things up for Blake and Andre. Because Blake and Andre, like I said, are a good fit, but you need some semblance of a good of perimeter players around them. So if you have guys like Ellington making the shots and Reggie's at least able to make some shots and like be the guy who, like uh, as the shot clock winds down, can kind of do something with the ball in his hands, with the athleticism coming back, then that fits really well with Blake and Andre, what they can do. As he's kind of like the third guy he has, at his best, he has the right skill set, and with Reggie, it's always just a matter of consistency. But if these are the Pistons' kind of three best players, what do you see as, like, the ceiling of this team over the next couple of years? I mean, is, like, just battling for the lower end of the playoffs as good as they can get, or what are ways they could, you know, kind of raise that ceiling? Well, <laughs> it, it's a pretty bleak financial picture for Detroit. Uh, yeah. Thanks to what Stan Van Gundy uh, did during his tenure here. Uh, they're pretty locked in financially. No more coach-GM combos. No more of those. I think that was the last iteration of this. I think that era has closed since everybody failed at it. Um, But next season, you obviously have Blake and Andre under contract for huge money. 
And then Reggie Jackson's in the last year of his deal. Uh, Langston Galloway's in the last year of his deal. John Luer is in the last year of his deal. And uh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So they have no money. So they have two options. They can run it back and basically see if they can use mid-level exception, biannual exception to put more sensible pieces on the roster, maybe draft well. Uh, they seem to have drafted pretty well in, with a couple second-round picks this past season that they're grooming right now. So they might rely on those as actual rotation pieces. Uh, so that is an option. They could top out at a sixth, fifth seed, maybe get through the first round, scare somebody in the second round, and that's about it, and then see where they're at. Uh, the alternative is to basically take some of those people in the last year of their deals and see if they can trade them for uh, more players that have longer-term salary obligations that other teams aren't really interested in. Think about like uh, next year's iteration of a team like the Wizards who were trying to get rid of Otto Porter. Like uh, mm -hmm. If they had decided to keep Otto this year and we're in the same predicament next year, I would have loved the Pistons to have basically traded for that salary obligation because his skill set fits so well. Um, but you can't really trade Reggie Jackson unless you have a sensible solution at point guard. And the Pistons really like Ish Smith as a backup, but he's not somebody that you can rely on as a starter because he's just not a shooter. And you really need a shooter in today's NBA. So they might just run it back. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. But I think that the Pistons sort of revamped their front office with some really smart people. Seems like the kind of group that would be aggressive if the right situation presented itself, but they're not going to make moves just to make moves. I mean, their first offseason, their, uh, their big splash was to sign Glenn Robinson III to a, a pseudo one-year deal and then sign Jose Calderon and Zaza Pachulia. That was their offseason. So uh, this is not a this is not a group that's just going to do something stupid and put themselves in a further bind just to be marginally better. Right. Just to make the, the money work, you know, with the salary conditions you're in a trade, you pr almost have to include Reggie in a trade just to make the money work. If you're trading for a big contract guy like an auto Porter, but it's like, how good of a guy are you going to be able to get back? If the other team has to take back Reggie Jackson, it seems like a lot of teams are just not interested in. Um, I know when the Grizzlies were working, looking at moving Mike Conley, which didn't end up happening. There was noise that like the Pistons wanted to get in on that, but the trade would essentially be like you swap Reggie Jackson and Mike Conley and then throw in, you know, a first round pick, or maybe you give them Luke Kennard or something like that. And that probably just isn't good enough to get into like all-star level players like Mike, well, pseudo all-star players like Mike Conley. So then you're looking at like a tier down of player. And at that point, it's not even worth giving up Reggie because Reggie kind of is that player who's like a tier or two down from all-star, but it's, you know, a solid enough player. And then you're just kind of moving the chairs around, not really making the team better, raising the ceiling. So it seems to me what the Pistons kind of have to bank on with this version of the team is like internal development from those younger players. Is there any one of those young players like a Luke Kennard, Fon Maker just traded for, um, who you like see as like a guy who could really break out and like change kind of the fortunes of this team by giving them that that one extra really good player? Well, it's it's sort of funny. Uh... <laughs> The specter of Donovan Mitchell is always going to hang over Luke Kennard. And, you know, yeah. probably, probably rightly so, because mm -hmm. that's exactly the kind of player that they could have used when oh, yeah. was scuffling and, you know, they needed playmakers. Uh, that being said, he might not be Donovan Mitchell, but 
Luke Kennard has been a really, really solid player. He's uh, There's no such thing as a bad Luke Kennard shot. He just <laughs> knows how to make anything work. And he knows how to create space for himself, even though he's kind of limited offensively. He's just uh, super clever with the ball in his hand. He has a good enough handle to kind of create space and create a good mid-range jumper. Or, you know, he's lights out from three pretty much, especially for a player so young. So that's sort of like the optimal version of a Dwayne Casey player, a secondary ball handler who's, you know, lights out from the perimeter. So I think he's got a really good future in Detroit. Uh, They have a second round pick who's basically been starting all year, Bruce Brown. He's he's allegedly got a little Russell Westbrook in his game. Uh, He's out there right now as a rookie because he's already an NBA caliber defender. He's gone from uh, maybe a point guard to a starting shooting guard to a starting small forward. And they basically sick him on uh, the most dangerous perimeter presence that the other team offers. So they're obviously grooming him for a big role. And I think they're just using that development time to see if he can develop a reliable offensive shot, because that is the thing he does not have right now. That being said, he's still a plus player ish this year because he's so good defensively. And then they have uh, a, a player that they've sort of groomed developmentally all year in Kyrie Thomas, who's spent a lot of time in the G League, and he's another, you know, 65% true shooting type player in college that they want to see if he can develop his NBA game. Uh, he's really dangerous from three. He's competent in the defensive end, so he's that sort of two-way prospect that they just want to keep building. And then they were smart enough not to get rid of their first-round pick, so... Hopefully they'll be able to nab another good player in the, in the draft this year that can really kind of fill a hole that they won't have to rely on in free agency. Yeah, Bruce Brown actually reminds me of the kind of guy that Sam Presti loves to draft in Oklahoma City. He's big for his size. He's got a really good wingspan. He's a grinder defensively, and it's like, eh, we'll figure out the jump shot thing later. That's the kind of guy Sam Presti loves to take. We've seen plenty of players like that, like you know Andre Robertson would be the most obvious example come through Oklahoma City. Um if Brown isn't able to discover any semblance of like a workable jump shot, he gets the average. That's an extremely valuable player with how good he is defensively. If he never does, there's still room in the league for guys who are just really good defensively. And you can throw on the best perimeter player on the other team. Andre Roberson has played that role in Oklahoma city until his injury last year. And don't know when or if he's ever going to see the court again, but that kind of player is valuable and would is a good fit on a team. It's just the problem with Detroit is always going to be, you need to surround that Blake Andre Reggie trio with really good shooting to make it work, um, which is where the continued development of Luke Kennard is going to be huge for this team, both as a perimeter shooter and to your point, like being that guy, you can be like the second side playmaker. If like Reggie runs the initial pick and roll or Blake is running down in transition and starts bullying his guy, just having someone who can catch the ball with the defense scramble and just slash into the pain and finish a play. That's huge. That's what the Thunder don't have, except when they play Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder together, which has its own problems. Like you just, the more guys you have who can do stuff with the ball in their hands and can shoot, the better. And if Reggie be, is tops as like solid now, if he solidifies as this like above average jump shooter, if Kennard's a great jump shooter and decent with the ball in his hands, that's a really good backcourt and it pairs nicely with Reggie or excuse me with Blake and Andre. So that I think is a Luke Kennard is the player to watch for the Pistons if they want to be more than just like the sixth seed over the next couple of years. And to your point, yes, they were smart not to trade their draft pick and hopefully they can find somebody good with it. And one thing I wanted to say is, you know, whereas halfway through the season, myself and, you know, most observers probably thought like, 
this is a team that needs to make a move from their core because the ceiling's just not high enough. But I think that, you know, Blake being Blake and Andre really stepping up, it's actually now about the Pistons developing around the margins of their roster. Because if you look at the, you know, the numbers and the lineups, this team is 500, not because of any, you know, fatal flaw in their starting lineup. They're struggling because they had to rely on Jose Calderon for huge minutes when Ish mm-hmm. Smith was injured and Zaza Pachulia as a primary backup center and John Luer as the Zaza insurance, which has just been a horrifying experience. Uh, yeah, it's, so, it's five years too late to be counting on Zaza or Jose Calderon if you're a team. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, if they could shore up some depth at those key spots, then they would have been, you know, a 45 win team easily if everything else played out as it had. And it was just horrible negative minutes off the bench when they were relying on those guys. Uh, Calderon's now out of the rotation because uh, Ish Smith is healthy, but Zaza has been in the rotation all year and he's looking like he's aging a year after every single game. And he's at this point almost unplayable. Uh, So, I mean, it's, it's not a hard proposition to think that a team, any team, could really shore up the third point guard spot and the backup center spot in an offseason, even if they had limited financial flexibility. Right. Those are the guys you're hoping to if potentially that far back in your depth chart, you're taking flyers on guys. And if it hits, then you find a diamond in the rough. And if not, you didn't spend that much money to do it. Um, that's I think it covers everything I want to talk about, just the Pistons as a whole. But let's talk about this matchup specifically. What do you see as, like, the biggest strength for the Pistons in this matchup against the Thunder? Where can they try to get their points on offense? Well, I'd like to see Blake hit the floor again. He was uh, doubtful for today's game and then ended up out. Or, no, he was questionable and then ended up out. So hopefully he's That's three straight he's missed? Correct. And uh, it's just some sort of... mysterious lingering knee issue which obviously you want to be careful with but they seem like they don't think it's a serious problem so hopefully he could be back I think that's a matchup they could win pretty handily and then uh it's all about what Russell Westbrook is going to be able to do as far as uh creating for himself and others and how uh, the Pistons are going to counter that because I would say that I would expect Drummond and uh, Adams to play themselves to a draw. They both have sort of uh, complementary strengths and weaknesses. Uh, So I think that's going to be pretty close. So it's just, is it going to be a Russell Westbrook game where he scores 25 points on 25 shots? Or is it going to be a Russell Westbrook game where he scores 35 points on 20 shots? Right. And it's how much of, with Russ, it's always balancing the playmaking and scoring himself right last night against the lakers he had 20 points on 23 shots which is terrible but he had 20 assists and they were playing a lakers team that's completely given up and was starting like you know a who's who of guys who barely belong in the league anymore but if you know russ is able to throw that many assists it means a his teammates are hitting their shots which has kind of been a problem for the last month but b it means he's focused on playmaking at least as much as scoring which is always the thing for him because he is a guy who can be either goaded by a defense or just be in the mindset a certain night that he's going to take a bunch of shots and more times than not, that means he's going to shoot the team out of a game, not into it. Um, I'm sure the Pistons will duck under screens and dare him to shoot, and Russ just needs to, if they're going to duck under screens, use that as his momentum to get to the rim and either finish at the rim or look for guys on the kickout. But 
he's getting older. He's hasn't been he's been back from injury since like November, but he just the explosiveness looked like it was back after the all-star break and then it sort of faded again. There's some nights where it's there and some nights where it's not. And hopefully when they get to the playoffs, you know, there's you don't play back to backs in the playoffs and things like that. You're a little more rested. Hopefully that explosiveness and athleticism is there every night for the Thunder's sake, but as we play out the rest of the regular season, we'll see. The Thunder don't have the only thing the Thunder are playing for at this point is they want to get ahead of the Spurs so they can finish seventh in the West and play the Nuggets instead of the Warriors, which I think is very high stakes. But, you know, in, in NBA locker room, they probably think, oh, we can beat anybody. So we'll see just what mode Russ is in. I do think you're right about Adams and Drummond. Um, Adams actually did, did really well the last time they played each other in, like, December when the Thunder just smoked the Pistons completely. And Drummond and Blake were both kind of non-factors in that game. But that was just a game where, like, the Pistons look just lost from the start. I don't think you can read anything special than that. Drummond and uh, Adams are two of the like five, I think, best offensive rebounders in the league. And I, I enjoy watching them go against each other. I know that's not the sexiest thing to watch in basketball is the two big guys fighting for rebounds, but I think it's fascinating to watch them against each other. And if you would have asked me in December, I would have said that Steven Adams is the exact kind of player that gives Drummond's fits because he's just he's too smart. And he has too much strength and size, so he could mm-hmm. basically do whatever he wanted. But uh, I would say the people that aren't paying attention to the Pistons, which is, you know, almost everybody, right. uh, what they have missed is I think that Drummond has taken a huge step forward as a, a interior defender to the point where he makes a lot of quality decisions against guys like Steven Adams or players like him. So he's, he's not going to be as prone to, you know, chase out too far, cheat out too far, get stupid fouls, play out of position, force help defenders to kind of cover up his mistake and then create open shots on the perimeter. He's doing a lot of smart things as an interior defender. And so uh, that's why I think it's going to be a more even matchup this time. And then uh, I think one of the things for, I guess, Thunder fans to know, kind of lick their chops a little bit, is Detroit has a competent defense. They've been sort of in the 10 to 13 range all year, uh, but they are highly prone to giving up huge amounts of points in the paint. Like a 50, 60 point night is not an uncommon occurrence against Detroit because uh, Reggie Jackson's a limited defender as a point guard and uh, they really sell out to eliminate as many three point shots as possible. So, uh, Sometimes uh, defend or you know the other team doesn't make Detroit pay for that, and sometimes it can get really really ugly. So it's really just a lot of times about how effective uh, Detroit's defense is at flying around all over the floor, and how much the other team tries to make Detroit pay with uh, dribble penetration. Yeah, with the Thunder, I think you know if Westbrook is going to able to get to the rim, and the Pistons are going to let him, he'll feast there. I mean, even with Andre's improvements on defense, Russ is like is still very good at finishing at the rim. It's his jump shot has abandoned him everywhere else. And Paul George has got the thing that's made Paul George so much better this year than the previous season is his handle's gotten tighter and he's been able to actually drive into the lane and finish through and around guys, even help defense get sent. And if the Pistons are seeing that, he can just go inside because his three pointer is is back to being decent. But like it has, you know, he was shooting well above forty percent pre All Star break. Then he had like this fall off and he the shoulder injury right after the all-star break and he wasn't shooting well at all. He's back to shooting like 37, 38%, which is pretty good. And I don't think the Pistons 
you know, that's where the Thunder should look to generate their points because Paul George is their best player and the Pistons can stick uh, Bruce Brown on him. I think that would be where they'll start and they'll probably put Kennard on um yeah, they have Ellington no, on Terrence they have, Ferguson. They have absolutely no length yeah. as, uh, perimeter defenders. They have like a bevy of shooting guards just trying to <laughs> contain play small forward, pretty, yeah. much, pretty much everybody. So it can be pretty, uh, it can get pretty bad when there's a really effective sh- small forward who has their shot going. Yeah. So we just need to see what, you know, mode Paul George is in, in this game, right? Like Brown is like a good defender, but he's five inches shorter than Paul George. So Paul George is feeling a jumper. He can just shoot over him if, he, you know, he has the, the five inches of separation. If he just gets a little bit of space rolling off of a screen or a pin down and just fires over enough, that shot's going in. Awesome. They'll get plenty of points that way. If the shot isn't there, then George needs to be looking to get inside, which is where, you know, Brown is going to have a better time trying to, like, contain his drill penetration than contain his jump shot. But if George is able to create some space on him and the Pistons are seeding a lot of paint points, uh, to your point, then I think George can feast that way. I think offensively the kind of X factor for the Thunder and actually – X factor on both sides of the floor is Jeremy Grant. You know, like, how well is he going to do defending Blake Griffin on the other side of the floor? Is that's a tough matchup for Jeremy because he's like he would have been a small forward ten years ago. He's now playing the power forward position. Blake is bigger than him. Blake is stronger than him. Blake is more skilled than he is. But Jeremy like does some like sneaky things himself when he's on offense. He's gotten a lot better at these like floaters when he gets into the paint but can't quite get to the rim. He's at both the mid range jump shot and the three point shot to his arsenal is very effective at both of those. He's high mid to high 30s on his three-pointers he takes this likes this set shot where he like sneaks into the paint and then while the defense his defender is sliding over to contain Russell pg just slides out to like 15 feet that's a nice shot for him he's really really crafty i think is the best way to describe it inside game like he doesn't dunk over guys but he has like these weird like hook shots and floaters that he can get points off of and he's actually like there's been a couple of games in recent stretches where jeremy grant has been the thunder's best offensive player if russ is just being bad Russ and PG isn't feeling with his jump shot and just kind of floats out of the game. Grant is the one guy who still like brings the energy every night and just has these really good offensive games. But sometimes he also goes like two of 15 and is a complete non-factor. So he, that, I was going to say when Blake has a defender on him that, you know, if Blake has both the size and the strength advantage, uh, he sort of, (laughs) he goes right into back down mode and mm-hmm. see what he can do either, either with a face up or with a traditional post up. But uh, his post up game has been uh, usually very, very good this year. And uh, especially good the last couple of weeks before he started dealing with this knee problem. So I'll be curious to see what Blake decides he wants to try and do against the Thunder defense. Uh, a lot of times he tries to get the switch onto a guard, but with a player like Grant where, you know, there's that athleticism there, but not as much strength compared to him. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if he just tries to back him down straight up and then see if the Thunder try to help off uh, and open up some shooters for Detroit. Yeah. I don't want to sell Grant short. He's improved as a post finder, but Blake is just one of the better post players in the league. And, you know, Blake is an all-star and that he is the player type that Grant struggles with the most. Grant is, Grant is really good defending like a Draymond Green sized player who prefers to operate in space or he's good defending guys who spend a lot of time hanging out behind the three point line. He's good at containing those guys. He does struggle against these like kind of stronger players inside, but the Thunder don't really have a better option to throw up Blake either. I, 
I guess I could see them experimenting with like putting Paul George on Blake if things get really out of hand, but their other like fours and fives, like Marquise Morris has just been bad since he got to Oklahoma City. Patrick Patterson's not playing. If you stick Adams on Blake Griffin, then you move the ball to Andre and you have the same problem with Grant or trying to defend Andre. So I think Jeremy Grant is going to have his work cut out for him in this game. And that is probably, you know, it may not be what swings the game. What swings the game might just be if Paul George is feeling his three-point shot or if Reggie Jackson has it going. But I think that's one thing that could swing the game is that power forward matchup. Um, any other things to watch in this one? No, I think that pretty much covers all the key matchups. All right. Well, then... Sean, thank you so much for coming on tonight, and I'm looking forward to this game on Friday. I'll actually be in Oklahoma City, Chesapeake Arena, Chesapeake Energy Arena, watching this one myself live. And good luck to the Pistons down the stretch, and hopefully you guys are in the playoffs. Yeah, I hope you have a good time, but not too much of a good time at the arena. (laughs) Me too, me too. All right, thank you so much, man. Take it easy. All right, thanks a lot.